Welcome to Bovine Banter with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team. Please note, the content of this podcast is educational only and not intended to be a substitute for veterinary medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of a licensed doctor of veterinary medicine or other licensed or certified veterinary medical professional with any questions that you may have regarding a veterinary medical condition or symptom. Hello, this is Ginger Fenton. I'm a dairy educator based in Mercer County, Pennsylvania, and today we'll be talking with Jessica Peters from Spruce Road Dairy in Meadville, which is located in Crawford County, Pennsylvania. Our discussion will focus on managing the newborn calf. Thank you for being with us today, Jess. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your operation? Sure. Um, So my name is Jess Peters. I own and operate a Jersey dairy farm in um, Crawford County, like you said, with my parents and my younger brother. Um, This family has been on our farm. My brother and I are fifth generation, but it hasn't been a traditional father to son passing of the farm. Uh, We also farm about 600 acres, all of which, all the crops we farm go directly to our cows. We don't sell any. Great. Thank you. So since our topic is managing a newborn calf, can you walk us through the first 24 hours of life in a calf at Spruce Road Dairy? Yeah. um, One thing that we think has been really beneficial is that we like to bring the mothers, we have a maternity pen in our milk barn that we bring the mothers over at least two weeks early. Um, so, and it just makes for an easier calving, a little less stress. They're already on the lactating diet. So, you know, by the time they have calving, we think that really helps with, um, the actual calving itself. Cause as you know, with newborns, I mean, if there's a hard calving, it's not just stressful on the cow, it's stressful on the calf. Um, so as soon as they're born, um, once that we, we typically like to leave the calf with the cow for a little while to get it, make sure she's licked clean. Um, you know, just get all the gunk off and it gets their circulation and their blood flowing. Um, and we do freeze colostrum. Uh, so if they're born not near milking time, we'll thaw a bag of good quality colostrum. All of it's tested with a uh, colostrometer, um, well, a refractometer um, to make sure it's high quality. And uh, so we, we thaw a bag out as soon as possible so that calf can be fed. And typically, depending on the quality of the colostrum the mother gives, um, and if she gives enough, their second bottle will usually be milk directly from their mom. Um, and we do dip the navel and we do some uh, precautionary treatments. We have a, like a gel paste that's like an auto an immune boost. Um, we use a product called Ecolizer, which is actually about to go off the market. So we're gonna have to look for something new. And yeah, just make sure getting warm, good quality colostrum into them as soon as possible that first round. And we give them a second bottle within the first 24 hours. Great, great information. Thank you. Which I think ties into our next question. Um, What do you see as the most critical need or needs of a newborn calf? And what are your practices or standard operating procedures that you implement to manage calves on your farm? Definitely, I think colostrum intake is by far the most important thing. Um, And we've actually changed in the last, timing is really hard to remember, probably the last seven years, how we handle our colostrum. You know, we have a a can specifically for colostrum. It's the, the way it's cleaned, it's cleaned with the, the food grade acid, the same as our tank is cleaned um, with the detergent. Um, and it, you know, it goes through kind of the mini cycle just by hand in a brush, but it's always clean and sitting there waiting for the next cow to calve. That, that can only handles colostrum. Um, and then we test the colostrum with the refractometer. And um, if it's above, I think our, our number is 20, 
two on the bricks um, scale. If it's above that, we freeze it and or feed it fresh, depending on what the calf needs. Um, if it's below that, um, you know, there's a certain level. If it's below, we might keep it for bull calves because it's still quality colostrum and better than not anything else. But, uh, you know, if it's below that, we'll dump it. So I, th I think quality colostrum management is a really big deal. You know, they're born without an immune system. And that first, the first eight to 15 days of their life, passive immunity is what keeps them healthy uh, until they've built their own immunity. And good quality colostrum is a big, big part of that. Great. Yeah, so I picked up on you have a, a standard protocol, excuse me, that you follow for managing colostrum and testing. And also it sounds like you have a um, protocol that you follow for sanitation and how you handle yeah. everything. So those are, are good, good information to know. So how do you make management decisions about your calf care program at your farm? Like what basis do you use for those decisions or where do you get your recommendations from? You mentioned making some changes seven years ago. Yeah. So, um, I am, my sister-in-law and I actually are the main people in our calf program. Uh, she feeds the calves every morning because I hate mornings. <laughs> Most dairy farmers don't say that, but morning is my least favorite time of day. Um, and I feed them every afternoon. Um, and that's, that's her only main job on the farm. She actually works off the farm, but she likes to help, you know, keep around and feed the calves in the morning. So a lot of times we'll kind of discuss where we think there are low points in the program or things we could possibly do better. And that's when I bring, you know, my dad, and my brother into it too. You know, we don't make a single decision on our own, but, um, or, you know, when you run into periods 10 years ago, we, we would lose a lot of calves. Jersey calves are pretty hard to raise. You know, they don't have as much meat on them when they're born as Holsteins do. And when they get scours and dehydrates, they go downhill really fast. Um, you know, the first big change we made um, was almost 10 years ago now, we used to break them to bucket really early. And now we leave them on bottle for an entire month. And that change came from talking to other farmers. You know, we said like between day eight and 15, when that passive immunity is dropping and the active immunity is just starting, they would get sick and dehydrate. And we were IVing calves and tubing calves. And we were just so frustrated that we were losing so many calves. You know, our mortality rate was up around 10% and it was, you know, depressing. Um, and it was, we talked to another Jersey farmer um, in Mercer County, actually, who told us that, you know, he leaves his calves on the bottle until he weans them. So we thought, well, you know what, let's go for a month. And it turned everything around. You know, the, the scours were still happening, but we weren't losing calves the same and they weren't quite as severe. Um, so talking to other farmers, I think is probably the number one way I get my advice. You know, I, I don't like talking to the people who say everything's always perfect and peachy and they don't have any problems because I have problems. If you own a dairy farm, you've got some type of problems. And, you know, talking about that at meetings or even on Facebook groups with other farmers is the way you find out what's worked for them. You know, obviously we always um, talk to our veterinarian as well. You know, they see a lot of different operations. They might have different ideas. You know, we've talked to our, our, our calves don't have our main dairy nutritionist is for the milk cows, but we've talked to him about it. He visits a lot of different cows as well, or farms as well. Um, so really, you know, and even reading industry publications, you know, seeing new products might make you think, well, that part of my operation isn't exactly up to snuff. You know, maybe you don't use that product, but, you know, maybe it'll spur something in your mind to think, well, you know, I do get a little bit of lag between when I wean them, you know, maybe there's a different protocol I could be using. 
They're good observations. And um, it's nice to hear that your farm management functions as a team and that you all discuss things. Um, most, I, most days. Yeah, that's also part of the family dynamic too. Yeah. yeah. Um, what advantages and have you found with your calf protocols? It sounds like definitely um, lower mortality and they're getting off to a better start. Um, have you found anything else like in terms of cost or, you know, time management or anything else associated with implementing protocols? Yeah, there's also, I mean, we're dairy farmers and we work a lot. It's every once in a while a protocol is for your convenience. <laughs> you know, I mean, you hate to, for example, we used to bring in water buckets every day and wash them. And it wasn't a long walk, but you know, my calf barn, we're lucky enough to have a calf barn. We don't have to deal with hutches in the winter. Um, it holds 44 calves, you know, and when you have to carry a water bucket for every one of those and certain times a year, most of them are still full when you go to refill them and carry them all the way in every day and wash them out and all the way back. I mean, it would add an hour to your routine, you know, and I talked to some people and looked up some studies and found out um, when, when the study was based on average daily gain on calves, which wasn't necessarily something that dairy farmers, it's not something I think of when I'm feeding calves, you know, I don't, jerseys don't get big. That's not my end goal, but it's, it's, you know, a, um, a benchmark to look at. And the, the study basically on how often they clean out the buckets and refresh the water and every day was a certain number. And then they did it once a week and then they only did it once a month. And there was a big difference in average daily gains between washing the buckets once a month versus washing them once a week. But the difference between washing them once a week and washing them every day wasn't that big, you know? And I thought if I could save us each an hour a day or two hours a day by not carrying those buckets in every single day, you know, that's a huge convenience for us. And, you know, it's not that if a bucket gets dirty or they crap in a bucket, we will change it. Or, you know, maybe we'll just dump the water out. Maybe the bucket's not dirty, but they've got hay or feed in it. Um, you know, so that's a protocol we changed. That's, that's been a long time ago. And, but that was more a convenience for us without affecting the health of the calf. Absolutely. It's nice to hear that you found a way to, to work smarter, not harder. I mean, that's, exactly. that's a good thing. Um, so have you found any, I, I guess we'll say any negative aspects or anything that you'd like to change if costs were <laughs> no option oh. or, you know, if you had unlimited time, is there any, anything, any changes that you'd implement in your protocol? So everyone you tell this to will say that's a good problem to have. But problems, are, they say, are good to have until you've had it yourself. Uh, we are overrun with heifer calves. <laughs> we've started using more sexed semen, so we've had more heifer calves than bulls. And um, just the way our operation is set up, you know, we don't have a ton of employees. Uh, we do a lot of the work ourselves, but we, this time of year especially, you know, we're, we're still harvesting. And even in planting season, you know, your, your attention, you know, we take the best care of our animals that we can, but your attention is divided because at least half of it has to be in the field. And we're small enough that we all have a part in the field as well as with the cows. So right now my calf barn is full of calves that are way too big and need to move to the next level. But you know, we're a small enough farm that I have to move all the other levels to be able to move there. Um, so we have some calves living in our maternity pens right now in the milk barn. And it's just an extra added onto, you know, when we milk, they get fed and it just adds time and it's inconvenient over there. Um, if I had, all the money in the world. Um, we'd love to build a bigger, another step in our calf barn progression. We call it the graduation. Um, you know, it'd be, it'd be a building that's easier to clean. My calf barn right now needs to be 
each stall has to be hand pitched with pitchforks, you know, be bigger pens. I would love to raise, you know, not newborns, but two week old um, calves in group pens. I think jerseys especially are very social animals. Um, and we just don't, you know, we're working out of facilities that are, uh, you know, 50, they're 50 years old or the youngest calf facilities I have. And we actually converted our old tie stall barn to a calf barn and it's great. But the bigger we get and the more heifer calves we raise, it'd be nice to have, you know, group pens in a barn that was more fitted to where we are now. So you mentioned that you and your sister-in-law are responsible for your calf care. I guess I wondered if there's been anything, any personality traits or qualities, not referring specifically to the two of you, but in general, that make somebody better suited to calf care. Um, it's funny that you bring that up because we we definitely did not get along at first. It took us a while, and that's the family dynamic and bringing new people in, and um, we're, we're just very different personalities. So that's taken a lot of work. And if you ever do a podcast on working with your family, let me know because I've got lots of things to say. Um, but I, I I almost hate to say this, but typically women are a lot better at taking care of calves. There's just the, the, the motherly intuition, you know, and um, I, I think it's really important to, if nothing else, having the same people take care of calves and they need to be observant uh, because, you know, the fact that I'm up there every day, I can look at a calf and say, oh, I think she's going to be sick tomorrow or, you know, she might not eat tomorrow. And that means a lot of times I can get ahead of that or, you know, at least I know to watch her more closely over the next couple of days. And it's just a personality thing with the calves. You know, you have, <laughs> I had this one family, the first cow was called Snowflake. And, you know, cows, usually their ears are up and they sit back and, you know, they they look alert. Her ears sat down on her head and it made her look depressed all the time. You know, for the first month this calf was alive, I thought, man, she's going to, you know, basically die tomorrow. Like you, you're just not quite that far, but you know, you're just. I was aware of it. Um, and then I got to the point where I knew every calf that cow had and in that family, that's how their ears sit, you know? So, I mean, you'd still watch them, but I think consistently having the same person feeding calves um, is a really big deal, you know, and just having someone who's observant, you know, I may not look like I'm looking at the calves, but every time I walk down the calf barn and back, you know, I'm noticing that she laid down right after she drank her bottle, which she normally doesn't do. So something, you know, something might be wrong there. Something's coming. Um, so I think more than personality, I think anyone could learn it and having the consistent person doing it is a bigger deal. But I do think, you know, women are just naturally a little more intuitive, I think, when it comes to to calves, not to offend any man who listens to this that's feeding their calves. Well, certainly the things then they could take away are pay attention to detail and and be consistent. So exactly. great. So one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you about your calf care program is because you're active on social media and with other press outlets. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your outreach efforts on behalf of agriculture and why you do what you do? Yeah, so I've been home full time for almost next April will be 11 years, I think. And when I first came home, um, you know, there's a well speaking of working with family again, there's a bit of a power struggle as to where you fit in and what you're going to take over. And um, then just getting back into the routine of doing this every single day. And I was about six months in and we had kind of, you know, there was still plenty of family arguing, but I had settled in and 
to, you know, what my groove was going to be. And my dad and I were, we call it talking in the parlor. The rest of the family calls it yelling at each other, but we're just very loud people. Um, we're talking and just, you know, I would get friends from high school sending me videos saying, is this true? And it wasn't. And I just got so frustrated. And, you know, when you're working full-time on the farm, it's really hard to get off the farm to do anything. And I just thought the best way I could do this is social media. So I started a farm Facebook page and just named it after our farm, Spruce Row Farm, and just started sharing, you know, farm stuff and pictures of calves. And, um, and it's really quite escalated to what it is today. You know, it's not even just sharing your farm, it's sharing, you know, our life and the way we think and why we do things we do. And, you know, you know it all goes back to if we don't share our story, somebody else will. And the only other people really sharing about the dairy industry are the animal activists. And we all know what their opinion of us is, you know, so it's, it's kind of a way of getting ahead of the story before the story gets ahead of you, I guess. And the problem is we're super farmers in general are super far behind in that battle. And what the animal activists put out there are so sensational. It's like a train wreck. You can't look away from, you know, so if you randomly ask people on the street, what they think about, you know, dairy farming, most of them will say, oh, I, I don't really have an opinion. But if you dig and dig, the, the tiny opinion they do have is negative, you know, and we're so, such a small part of the population anymore that, you know, most people don't know a farmer. You know, our parents' generation, most of them, either their grandparents had farms or they have a friend who had a farm or, you know, that's not true anymore. So, you know, and I, I don't believe it's for every farmer to put themselves out there on social media. But, I, you know, I think it's, it's part of our job now to, if you don't want to be the one doing it, you know, maybe share things from the ones who are willing, you know, find someone you really like and, you know, help spread that message in different ways. Um, you know, and I've, I've been doing that probably at least five or six years now. And yeah, there's a lot of bad, <laughs> but there's also a ton of good, you know, and a lot of people who just say, you know, I started following you because my friend follows you and I had no idea that this is how you, you treated your calves or, you know, I, I didn't know you bottle fed calves. I didn't know this is how you milked a cow. So it's, it's worth doing if you're willing to put the work into it. Well, thank you for what you do. And I think you do a great job. You, you share things that maybe other people wouldn't and definitely um, a real and accurate portrayal of farming. So we appreciate the time and the effort that you put into that. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have any parting thoughts or takeaway messages that you'd like to, to leave us with? Okay. I, I do have one more tip that I'm kind of known for in the, in the dairy calf realm of life. Um, and the only reason I share this tip is it's not a pharmaceutical thing. I'm not like supporting a company. It may not work for everyone is my disclaimer. You know, um, it has worked really well for us. Uh, probably about 2016. So four years ago, it was October 23rd, 2016. <laughs> I remember the exact date. That's how big of a deal this has been for us. Uh, as I said before, Jersey calves are hard to raise. You know, as soon as they scour, they dehydrate and they don't want to eat. And then you're tubing her and IV her fluids. And it's just impossible. Um, and that's where we were at. We had switched to feeding them bottles for a month. We weren't losing calves, but you know, half of our calves would still get sick from scours. And when they got sick, it wasn't just, they're not feeling well. It was sick. And it was actually our dairy nutritionist had an Amish farmer trying it. And he, what he did is he gave regular plain old cheap apple cider vinegar. You buy in the gallon from the store 
two tablespoons a day to his calves. And it worked, we feed our calves twice a day. Um, so it worked out well that we would just put one tablespoon in each bottle. And October 23rd was 2016 was the day I started it. Um, and I just started everything on milk for that first month. We do it for a month. Um, the feeding right after colostrum. So the third feeding. Our cases of scours dropped tremendously. Um, I can't, I'm going to knock on wood because I'm going to say this out loud. Remember the last time we treated a case of scours. Or they scour, but they keep eating. Um, and that has been such a big deal. And we have lots of different theories. I don't know if it changes the stomach pH. I know the acetic acid in it um, fights the E. coli, which E. coli poisoning was our main. And I, I think it's probably the main reason for scours in calves. You know, I mean, they're cows. They're born where <laughs> cows, you know, crap. So it's everywhere in the environment. You can't really help that. Um, and we had changed everything to try this. We'd vaccinated the cows. We vaccinated the calves. We had um, changed the way we bedded and cleaned the maternity pens. We changed the way we sanitized the stalls before they came in to try and stop the scours. And this, I mean, this was almost an overnight fix and it's so cheap and so easy. Um, you know, like I said, even the calves that do scour now, they might miss a feeding, but I'm not IVing and tubing calves like we used to. Uh, and then, you know, studies show the scours is the biggest problem in calves. And if you can keep them from scouring, it stops their immune system from being taxed. So we don't have nearly as much trouble with respiratory issues. Um, they're bigger calves, they're healthier calves, they're stronger calves. Um, it has been, I waited three months and it was really hard for me to wait three months to shout this from the mountaintops. <laughs> Cause I knew after two, but you know, I wanted to make sure it wasn't something else. And I started shouting it on social media to other farmers. And I've gotten a lot of feedback from other farmers saying, you know, they tried everything and this worked for them. So, you know, if you're out there listening to this, having trouble with calf scouring, um, try it. You know, my aunt takes a shot of apple cider vinegar every morning for her digestive health. I don't, I don't think, and I've never had anyone told me it hurt their calves. I've had a few tell me it didn't help, but um, it's just such a cheap, easy thing to do. It's so worth the try. Well, interesting information. Good discussion, Jess. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you for your advocacy for the ag industry. And thank you to all those out there listening. Um, don't forget to tune in next Tuesday for a discussion about rumen development in calves with Extension Educator Amber Yetzi and Melissa Heater from Joe Mill Farms.